You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning again. It's an opportunity to continue in our worship in the Word. So take a copy of God's Word. Open up once again to Romans chapter 8, our last time really today, preaching-wise, in Romans 8 as we, as we finish and conclude this series here, going through this, and then get into 9 next week. So Romans 8, if you're on your way there, verse 31, I'll start, but a picture from last week from Cora, I think I've got the last name right, Cora Johnson, uh, Dewey's granddaughter. There was, a couple, there was a bunch of family here last week, wasn't there? So celebrate uh, with him. But uh, she gave me this, had a, some good pictures. Check them out. They're on the top line uh, on your way out the front entrance here. Some good ones. This one's from Cora. I love Jesus. And she's got it written out there and Jesus on the cross there. And we looked at that and we looked at really in verses 31 through 34, this love of Christ for us and that he loved us. So we love him. And uh, so appreciate Cora. You can pass it on to her. Her picture is up here. Maybe she'll see it online. Uh, we're in Romans 8. We're, we're going to be in verses really 35 through 39, but let's start back to verse 31. Just read through the section one more time as we look at this. Paul begins with this question. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray once again. Father, as we come to your word now, would you help us to implant this in our hearts I'm going to guess for many of us, this is not the first time we've heard the words of this chapter and this section. We've just sang about the love of Christ. We've sang about your blood. And yet, Lord, may you penetrate these truths by your Spirit into our hearts. To know them in our mind, to know them in our heart, and to go out from here having been changed by your word, by your Spirit. Salvation, Lord, is from you from first to last. It is of you. 
And this chapter and this section brings you the glory for the love you have. May you be exalted in our time in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verses 35 through 39 are going to form a new sermon. Here we are today. It's just so we know and we recognize it's not disconnected from what we looked at last week. Uh, There were four main questions, depending on how you count them, that precede the fifth one in verse 35 that we're going to really look at this last question look at this week. So some of the first were kind of a combination. What then shall we say to these things? Who can be against us? That's one question, verse 30, 31. Uh, Verse 32, I believe. Again, a question, will not God give us all things? A further question, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And then, again, the question, who is to condemn? And so I've set this last main question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Set it apart because really it bookends the last section of these verses. You see it in verse 35, and then you see it again really answered in verse 39. And Mark Seafried, I don't know if you know the name, I don't know the name, but he's commenting here in, in a rather thick book on the looking back in the Old Testament and how the New Testament uses the Old Testament. We're going to come across that as you see the, the little quotation here from the Psalms um, in a little bit. But he comments and he helps us see the climax that we are at today in this section. He says this in verse 35. Or he says that verse 35 says this. With the concrete and extensive affirmation that follows it, this is verse 35, it draws together not only the entire series of questions, but also the whole of the letter. Here we have the summa sumerum. And I don't know if any of you know what a summa sumerum is. I, don't, I didn't know that. It's Latin. But you can kind of hear the words in there, the sum of sums. It's like the summary of summaries, or the, the all things being considered, here it is, or conclusion, or, I don't really care for the phrase, but many watch media, they always say, at the end of the day, this, and they preface it. That It's kind of that in conclusion, or to sum it all up, that's what he's saying, this section, I think even just broadly, this section that we're in. It's this climactic point of the book of Romans. And we're not done with Romans yet. We're, we're really halfway through. But it's a climax of sorts, building up to this point. And from here, then, Paul's going to get into his own people, into Israel, God's sovereignty. How do the Gentiles fit into all of this? And then even further, you get to chapter 12, and application follows all this. But for now, in, this, in these few verses, we're in this room of rooms, a climax really, of assurance and peace for all who are in Christ. A great place to rest in. So let's head to the text. We're going to look at these verses here. We're going to look at two related questions. Again, there's two questions, verse 35, but they're related. Let's read the verse again. The question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul's main question here is really what or who, you can, I think they're kind of interchangeable, what can threaten to separate us from this love of Christ? The word for separate here, who shall separate us, that word, it's got a sense of, it 
maybe dividing, uh, causing a space between. So separate. It's what we think about a separation, a space between, a sense of breaking apart what is one. What what shall break apart this oneness? And the implied answer here and throughout is no one and no thing, nothing. In a familiar passage, Jesus Jesus he actually uses the same wording, this separate, this word, and he uses it in terms of marriage. That's in Matthew 19. You can write the reference down, Matthew 19, 4 through 6. He's being questioned there, and he's questioned there about divorce by the Pharisees. And he says this, Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. Listen for our word here. Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. You've heard this before. It's really from the same root word Paul's using here. It's why marriage is... According to God, it's really a living witness of the truths we're studying right here in verses 35 through 39, this covenantal love. And so there's a call here for us, even by by way of application, for each husband and wife, as far as it depends on you, you're to model this type of love that we're seeing at the end of Romans chapter 8, this love of Christ. But in a world of sin, divorce happens, doesn't it? There's unfaithfulness to this oneness, and it occurs with devastating effects. But even there, when that love in a marriage is broken and torn, is there a greater love? There is. It's this love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? When we think of love, though, love of God, love in general, it's prone these days to mean a lot of different things to different people. I think in many ways, it's taken to simply mean acceptance. Love of God means acceptance. God is okay. In fact, he supports whatever behavior you exhibit. God, God loves you. He loves you no matter what which there's a kernel of truth in God's unconditional love. But the problem is this view of God. He loves whatever behavior, whatever you do, God loves you. The problem is the view is not focused on the transforming this blood-bought purchase of a sinner to be sanctified in Christ, that type of love. This, as we saw in uh, earlier, this conformity to the image of Christ. That's not what some would see the love of God. It just really is more about God accepting me in all my alternative ways. So as long as I'm loved, no change needed. But in verses, as we've already seen, verses 31 through 34, Paul has defined the way in which God in Christ loves us. Even though the word there, it never showed up. How? It's in God giving up His Son, giving up Christ, dying for us, for His own, where, as we've seen in Romans, the love of God is demonstrated. He demonstrates it. First John 4, 9-11 puts it this way. Helps us, again, what is true love? 
It says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. How? It's that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, which involves, as we're looking at Sunday school, satisfying God's wrath. He might be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Or Ephesians 5, again to bring it back to husbands and wives, Paul makes the case for husbands to love their wives because it's how Christ loves the church. Listen to how he loves. It's not just whatever, don't change, be who you are, live out your whatever you want. It says this, Christ loved the church, so lo- husbands love your wives, Christ the church, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Do you hear the difference there? The world's definition of this love of God. In Romans chapter 1, even through 3, has gone to lengths to show the sinfulness of mankind. It says God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Pardon the rhyming here, but God's love is not intended to affirm us in sin. His love is not intended to affirm us in sin, but to conform us to Him. So it's not, yes, go, go in your sin. No, it's, there's a conforming type of love sanctifying. It's how husbands to love their wives. It's how Christ loves the church. And He is the one at work. He's the one calling. He's molding. He's shaping all to our own, our glorification one day to glory in God. And so for those called and so loved by God, nothing shall separate us from His love. The second part of verse 35 gives clarity, though gives some scope. Paul, what, what do you mean? And Paul just dishes out some scenarios here for us. Um, the wording here, I think it's in the second part of verse 35, it's broad enough to practically say, along with what we're going to see in verses 38 and 39, that it's really nothing. There is not one thing that has any ability or power to separate those for whom Christ died, who rose, who's interceding for us today to separate them from His love. Nothing. I'm going to be brief as we think through, just think through each word here. And I'm using the the ESV words here just to think through each one. Tribulation. It's got a sense of pressure. Tribulation or pressure. It's like, um, not coming up with this on my own, like the treading of grapes when the pressure bursts them apart. So you think of stepping on a grape and there's that pressure till it, that tribulation. Maybe that's the idea. Will, so the question here, will this pressure, this tribulation, will it separate us from the love of Christ? Or the next word is distress. One commentator speaks of distress that the combination of the two words, tribulation, distress, means outward affliction plus inward distress. It's just There's outward, there's inward. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, uses the word for distress, uses calamities. Will any distress 
Will any calamity separate us from the love of Christ? Next is persecution. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says to Timothy, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So persecution, whether it's mild, maybe we experience that or are growing towards a, a more stronger way of persecution even in our own land, but mild or extreme, it's part of following Jesus in the sin-darkened world. But the question again, will it separate us from the love of Christ? Or maybe it's worry and there's a real fear of hunger, famine that you've got here. Or there's a lack of clothing, the word nakedness. But will hunger, will the lack of clothes separate us from the love of Christ? What about danger? Another word used here. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26. He speaks of danger there eight times. There's danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. There's danger from Gentiles. There's danger in the city. Oh, well, get out of the city. No, there's danger in the wilderness. There's danger at sea. There's danger from false brothers. There's danger. No matter where, city, wilderness, no matter where you go. But will it, or even the next word, will the sword, and I think in my research here saying this referring to execution, the sword, being executed even, will even that separate us from the love of Christ? And I think here, and we'll see in the other list, you could just continue with, whatever your mind might envision. What, list a scenario, put it in the sentence and just fill in the blank with your particular set of scenario and on and on and on. And the question is, will it? Will it? Will it separate? Can it? God's grace is sufficient and His love in Christ is stronger than anything that would oppose it. And I think by way of illustration, Paul then references Psalm 44. It's verse 36 here. Let me look at verse 36, and then we'll go look at this. Paul says here, as it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Why don't you head there to Psalm 44 and just see this. certain places where we have really just direct quotes coming out of the Old Testament. Psalm 44, it's verse 22. And we might ask, it seems kind of random, why this verse out of the middle of nowhere, out of a psalm? What's going on? It's a verse that it comes near the end of Psalm 44. There's 26 verses. It's verse 22. It's a psalm, really there's different sections in it, but it's to say that in God, in God, we push down our foes. It's, it's not in my bow do I trust. It's God who saves. See that in verses 5 through 7? And yet God seems distant, and His people, they're taunted, they're scattered, they're hated, they're a laughingstock, they're in shame. But here, it's not for their sin. Normally we think of Israel, it's due to sin. Here, 
Here in this case, it's not. They've, they've done what is right. They've not forgotten God. They've not worshipped other false gods. And yet, there is verse 22, which says, again, familiarly from Romans, yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's kind of like a, a Job, Old Testament Job situation. It's not, it's not disciplining and suffering, discipline and suffering due to sin. It's due to God's will, even though that may not make sense in the moment. My English standard, my study Bible here says this, and it's looking at this verse in view of where we're at in Romans, verse 36. Comments here, Paul uses this verse to remind believers that God's people have always had to face such situations. Yet, isn't that fitting? They've always, any new persecution, new danger, new toy, whatever it is, it's not new. That's why it's good to study church history. You go, the church has endured, God has endured his church through the ages. Anyway, they continue, they say, yet they must not conclude that they are thereby separated from the love of Christ. No matter what it looks like, tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, the conclusion is not we are separated from the love of Christ. That's not the conclusion. Our being with Christ, though, It involves, as we looked at Romans 8, verse 17, it involves both glory and suffering. Sometimes for no reason that we can, with just our physical eyes, we can't see. And yet, even as sheep in line for slaughter, we might ask, is this going to separate us from the love of Christ? Look back to verse 37. Head back to Romans 8. Maybe you kept your finger there. Verse 37, where Paul now, beyond questions, he's going to answer with clarity and certainty. Back in Romans 8, verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's no more rhetorical questions here, just certainty building, even building from verse 37 to 39. So all these things, they actually, they in reality, they look pretty hopeless. They look defeating, distress and tribulation, execution even. And yet it's those things Paul, I think, is referencing here. In those things, we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. The word here, I don't bring up Greek a lot, but I'll pronounce this word, the Greek word for more than conquerors. It's Huper nikomen. Huper nikomen. And you go, that's a great Greek word. It might be more familiar in the root word form, in the noun. You might be more familiar with Nike or Nike. And now you know why this dirty shoe is up here. Maybe you all have a pair of Nikes with you. Nike. It's a, uh, it's a Greek word, so huper nikomen is the word here. You can hear now nike or in there. It's a Greek word for victory. I think it could be used a lot of ways, but victory in battle or victory in athletics. It's this victory-sounding word. It, in Greek mythology, the false gods of it, nike was the Greek goddess of victory. 
Did a little research. What about Nikkei? We pronounce Nike, but Nikkei. One site said uh, ancient Greeks worshipped Nikkei or Nike because they believed she could make them never to die and was able to grant, human, grant to humans strength and the speed needed to be victorious in any task they undertook. Another place noted that athletes who wanted to win worshipped her. But whatever victory, so it was thought that Nikkei could give, it's in Christ. This is not in Nikkei that we are more than conquerors. It's this Hooper, Nikkei, Hooper. It's above and beyond, more than. Even one commentator calling us super conquerors. But how? How are we more than conquerors? And it's only and ever through, how does Paul end that? Through Him who loved us, through Christ. We are not more than conquerors through our own good works or putting on a pair of shoes or anything we might do on our own. Our soup, the super-conquering in these things and scenarios, it comes through Christ. And praise God, it is not through us. If Christ does not love us, we're forever lost. But if the love of Christ has been poured out on the cross for us as His own, sinners called out solely by God's grace, nothing within us, then we have hope. We have hope because that love of God, it's sure and lasting, and unlike human love, it will never fade or perish. Paul's going to point that out in the next two verses here. I just thought, thinking once again of this illustration, Nike and maybe even the swoosh, she was a winged goddess. Maybe there's a winged sense to that. Just thinking of even their phrase, you know, you could title the sermon. Their, their phrase, Nike, is just do it. It's so common, we just know that, just do it. In this sense, in Paul's sense, how could we change that? He did it. He is doing it. It's not up to us. Christ did it all. And so in Him, we are Hooper Nike. We are more than conquerors. Even when faced with tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, danger, sword, and so on. Kind of what has been the series title throughout our study in chapter 8, More Than Conquerors. It's the heart, I think, of this passage. And even, even in the section we're on, it's like the middle center of the section we're in. So that is verses 35 and 36 lead up to this phrase in verse 37. And then in a way, 38 and 39 come away in light of it. So there's kind of this mountaintop. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us. And then we come back down the hill, continuing to study. What's, what is this in light of it? And we read the last list, then in verses 38 and 39. Let me finish us to the end here where it says, For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see Paul's certainty in verse 38, for I am sure. This is not Paul making a good guess. 
or a mild expectation. I sure hope it's this way. Or how Paul even thinks God's going to act. I think he will do this. Leon Morris writes, Paul sees no possible shadow of doubt. And he points to the form of the verb even here, that it points to this permanent state. He says this is no passing whim. I am sure that, and then Paul goes on, and again, a second listing here. It's like the first in in this way in that I think it's a list that, again, fill in the blank, fill in the list. Um, If you distinguish between the two, perhaps the first, maybe there's a, a horizontal aspect of events, scenarios, things we experience around us. And then as we look at this list, there's more more vertical, more spiritual perspective. I uh, think of death or life, height or depth, or even angels or rulers or powers, which I think many would see as demons. Or just perhaps in a way these verses are just a continuation of sorts from the first list. There's just a building certainty. Whatever the distinction, and I'm not sure exactly what it is, but at the heart of both is again verse 37, this heart, the center of it. That in all these things, whether you look this way, this scenario, or this thing, up, down, in, around, now, future, everywhere, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And so, nothing, absolutely nothing in all creation is able or has power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a theme, it's a truth, really began back in even, I mean, you could, you could see it elsewhere where love is not mentioned, but Romans 5, 6 through 11, the cross of Christ, his death, it's the demonstration of this love, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Leon Morris, again, he writes, we cannot know the love of God apart from Christ, The cross, and only the cross, shows what real divine love is. And so as we looked at last week, verse 32, which would show us, He who did not spare His own Son, He loved us, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And so it's continued here in this certainty that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. J.I. Packer notes here, again, from that knowing God, he notes here in this passage regarding love. He says, Whereas human love, for all its power in other ways, cannot ensure that what is desired for the beloved will actually happen, as multitudes of star-crossed lovers and heartbroken parents know. Human love can't ensure what's desired for the beloved. Then he says this about divine love. God's love. He says divine love is a function of omnipotence. That's God being all-powerful. Divine love is a function of omnipotence and has at its heart an almighty purpose to bless, which cannot be thwarted. That's such a good word. God's love for his own cannot be thwarted. We cannot even compare the surety, the certainty of God's 
love to our own. We're to imitate him. We're to love as he loved. We're to, we're to show this. But the certainty of Paul, it's in God's ableness or power to love us. And God is able where humanity fails. The world, however, without God is in fact, to think of an older country song, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. There's even a relatively new, just to be on the genre of songs this morning, there's a relatively new pop song. Showed up, I think, an advertisement here. And it says, I won't say who's saying it, but it says, I don't, maybe you know this. I don't, you know, it's talking about, I don't need my man to love me. You know, I, I, the words are really, I can love myself better. Here's how the, some of the lyrics go. I, I can buy myself flowers, write my name in the sand, talk to myself for hours, say things you don't understand. I can take myself dancing. I can hold my own hand. Yeah, I can love me better than you can, can love me better. It's a catchy tune, it's, but a terribly lonely and self-centered road to be on. Couldn't just love me. You know, in a world lost with who will love me? Well, I don't need him anyway. I can love myself. I'll hold my own hand. I love me. This is, in fact, what we do in our sin. We love ourselves. But without this love of God, you are left to love yourself, which will have disastrous results. For us, that we, we study this section, and we've only kind of just probably touched the surface in terms of all the meaning, the infinite love and meaning of what is here, there is so much more. And we really need to realize, really, we've, we've not even plumbed the depths of this love of God for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what do we take away from verses 30, even 31 through 39, but particularly today, these last few verses here? Just three quick applications, and I made them all start with a P really quick. Praise, patience, and proclamation. Praise, patience, proclamation. One is to praise. Simply worship God. What we've been doing this morning, praise God from whom all blessings, these blessings even, flow. You did not earn this love. You did not find this love on your own. And you cannot, in your own power and strength, keep this love. It's a promise. It's a truth of God that nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our being loved, though, does not terminate on us. Look at what a lovely being I am. I just love to be loved. But where does that love go? It returns in glory and worship and praise of the God who loved us. We are loved to worship and ultimate joy in the Lord. Number two, patience. Are you in the middle of tribulation, distress, trial, depth, worry of the present, worry of the future maybe? Verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. May you endure with patience. Wait on the Lord. These things, as bad as they are, as sinful as we are even, have no power to separate 
you from God's love in Christ, you who know Christ. And so the third one is proclamation. That we would not just go from here and go, wow, what, what a great passage. But that this passage would be so in us that we say, I must share this with somebody. To proclaim this Jesus who saves sinners, proclaim it to a world that is looking for love in all a million more wrong places with somebody else or this thing or in my own self. You want to find love? We find it in Romans 8. We find it really at the cross. So tell the world of this cross, of this Jesus. Tell your neighbor or your friend. Or maybe you need to go to a people group far off that has never heard the gospel and tell of God's love for sinners who would repent and come to him by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we do praise you. We just join together in prayer. When we have been so unloving of you, you have loved us in our sin, in our enemy being. You've loved us by the cross, sending Christ to conform us. So Lord, we thank you for this love. And may this thankfulness, gratitude, praise, worship, adoration grow. May it never stop. And may next year and the year after and the days after continue to grow to understand how love, how your love is so great. Were we to fill the oceans, uh, couldn't even contain, couldn't even fathom your love for us in Christ. Lord, for those enduring trial right now and pain and distress and worry, may these words again be comforting to our souls. We are more than conquerors through you who have loved us. And I pray too, Lord, you would help us as a church. This would not just be good news for us to huddle around this morning and enjoy and bask in and rest in, but Lord, would you give us a heart to go and proclaim it to others who are lost and in darkness and are indeed looking for love elsewhere. Give us wisdom. Give us the words by your Spirit grace, courage, strength to go do this. Maybe even some here going to the ends of the earth. Lord, lead us out to proclaim this good news out of the overflow of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the truths and the certainty of this passage when everything else around us is so uncertain. We praise your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.